right, good morning. If you would, go ahead and take your Bible and turn to Revelation chapter 2. As we get started this morning, I'll ask you all, if you would, to read the verses just around the room, uh, verses 18 through 29. We're going to look this morning, begin anyway at least, might get it all, I'm not sure, but uh, the letter to the church at Thyatira. So um, I'll ask Pastor Brinker if he'll start and then just do what we normally do there. And unto the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. I know thy works and charity I know thy works and charity and service and faith, and thy patience and thy works, and the last to be more than the first. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants, to commit fornications, and to eat the things sacrificed to idols. And I give her space to repent of the fornication that she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except you repent of your deeds. And I will kill her children with death, and all these churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and hearts, and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. But unto you I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, and which have not known the depths of Satan, as they speak, I will put upon you none other burden. But that which ye have already hold fast till I come. And he that overcometh, and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give the power of the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and the vessels of the potter shall be broken to shivers, even as I received of my father. And I will give him the morning star. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. All right, that's the, uh, the letter to specifically to the church at Thyatira. Uh, among these seven, of course, this is number four in the list of the seven. And uh, as far as numbers of verses anyway, this is the longest of these letters. There's 12 verses in this. Uh, many of the others are quite shorter. Uh, but this is the longest of those letters. And there's a whole lot of, whole lot of things here. Um, there's actually, of course... Uh, remember the, the sevenfold kind of uh, outline, if you want to say, of each of these letters. We're going to continue to follow that. But in this particular letter, there's a change uh, in that outline, a change compared to the three previous. In fact, the three remaining letters would follow this same pattern that's begun here. And that is, you'll notice... At the end of the letter, in, in the part that we're calling the challenge issued, which usually has two parts, right? 
the challenge to hear, to listen up, but also then there's a promise given to overcomers. If you'll notice in this, they're switched up. All right, the, the uh, promise to the overcomers comes first, and then the very last verse just issues the challenge to hear, uh, but all the other the three remaining letters follow that pattern. Now, what great significance that has, you know, we'll uh, perhaps uh, see as we go, but same components, just a little bit of switch in that particular uh, category there. So, and again, this is the longest of these letters. You'll see, I think, as we uh, go into this, you'll see some similarities to what the Lord said to the church at Pergamos, um, but yet this is different than that as well. But uh, So let's go ahead, we'll have a word of prayer, and uh, then we'll begin looking at this, this letter here. All right, Father, this morning as we uh, look at your word, this portion of the book of Revelation, again, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, and I pray that this morning you'll help us to have a... Uh, of course, high respect for your word and a great love and regard for the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that you would draw us closer to you, help us to be faithful to you as we ought, uh, and even more so as having looked at this portion of your word. We ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake we pray, amen. In Pergamos, remember the church had compromised. They had tolerated certain ones in their midst who held to some wrong doctrines. Now, it says nothing about those people trying to propagate that doctrine in the church, but the church was, was uh, uh, rebuked by the Lord Jesus for tolerating that, all right? But the church had compromised in some things, all right? Here in Thyatira, we see these things going a step further. In fact, the, the Pergamos church had compromised by tolerating. Here in Thyatira, the church had been corrupted by allowing false teaching and practices and apparently going on in their midst. All right? The situation in Thyatira demonstrates the result of the lack of biblical separation, which is so important for the Lord's churches and people to practice. When compromise is allowed to go unchecked, corruption will result. Many contemporary illustrations, of course, could be looked at in various churches and things, but we're uh, not necessarily going to spend our time on that. But uh, there were some, though, as we see. All right, It's not like the, everybody in the church was completely affected by this. There were some in the church who had not compromised, and the Lord, of course, addresses them specifically in this letter also, as we will see, all right? So as we go through this letter, we'll follow, again, the same general uh, outline here that we've been uh, looking at. You see, first of all, the church addressed, verse 18 in this case, all right, under the angel or that messenger of the church in Thyatira, right, all right, so the church is addressed. Again, this is a literal church that existed in that city, and uh, the city of the church, all right, the environment in which they were. I'm not going to spend time reading that. I, I included some information here about this, uh, obviously an ancient city, and uh, 
There may be a couple of the important things about that city in that day, three things if I don't forget one of them here. Uh, one is it was a, uh, a major, it was along a major route in the Roman road system, which remember the Romans were famous for uh, building roads and, um, and so on. And uh, it was along a major route that connected coming from uh, probably, I guess, like the northwest and came down through Thyatira and went all the way down through Laodicea and then on east from there. So it was uh, along a major route there. Uh, a sec- secondly, there was a, one of the great uh, manufacturing things about the city is they were known for their purple dye, and, uh, which was used in uh, textiles of the day and so on. And uh, we'll mention more about that in just a second. And then also, apparently, this city was known, too, for um, uh, the participation, the formation, participation of the various trades of people into uh, guilds. Uh, and, and that was a very prominent thing in Thyatira. In fact, from what uh, historical sources and so on uh, refer to us that really it was something that was almost basically mandatory. If you were going to be uh, practice this trade, you joined this group, and uh, the, maybe you could say similar to unions in a way today, uh, but different as well because they were each of these guilds were connected to some sort of pagan worship and and so on. All right, and so uh, you, again, as we go through this, I think you'll see how that can and and probably did have an effect on those in the church in Thyatira. Now, uh, obviously, like pretty much all the other cities that that these churches were in, in that day it was a city that was full of pagan worship, immorality, uh, and so on. Uh, Very common, all right? So the the context of the church, again, like the other, most of the other churches, just a couple exceptions there, uh, there's really nothing else in the New Testament uh, besides what's here in the book of Revelation that we know of about this church. In fact, outside the book of Revelation, the city of Thyatira is mentioned one time, and that's in Acts chapter 16 when uh, Paul and, and Paul and Silas, Timothy and Luke specifically, there were others most likely with them there, but they went into a city. Uh, remember, Paul had seen the Macedonian vision and they went over, crossed over into Europe, actually, from Asia into Europe, and uh, they began ministering in the city of Philippi. And the first recorded convert in the city of Philippi was who? Lydia, a seller of purple, and she was from the city of Thyatira, all right? Um, we don't really know a whole lot about her other than that, but, uh, uh, and again, that fits in with other things that, are to be, that can be known about the city. But really, again, there's not a lot known in the rest of the Bible about Thyatira and certainly not the church at Thyatira other than what we see in this letter here in, that's in the book of Revelation. All right, so uh, you see that little bit of, uh, if you want to say that, 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 uh, context and so on of the church, that's where they were in this city. 
And uh, remember, in, in kind of the, the circular, although it's not really a circle, but the, the route of these letters, uh, of course, Ephesus and, and uh, Smyrna, then Pergamos, and then Thyatira, and then it's going on down, finishing there in Laodicea. But um, you see here as well, the Christ described, all right? Just like every other one of these letters, the church is addressed, and then Christ, he, he, he gives some kind of description about himself. And again, these are fitting with what is in the letter uh, somehow or another. All right. Now, this is an interesting description in several ways, I think, of, of the Lord Jesus here. Because in verse 18, he's telling John to write the, these things, right? And he says, these things, or the things to this church, in other words, saith... Notice the descriptions. The Son of God, we'll get back to that, who hath eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet like unto, or like fine brass. All right, so we see a name, we see his eyes spoken of, and his feet mentioned. Now, those, the description of his eyes, the description of his feet are very, are basically taken from chapter 1, that description of the vision, how John saw Jesus. He describes him as having eyes as a flame of fire, right? And that his feet burned, there it says, burned as if they were in a furnace, all right? Uh, and as fine brass in a furnace. Here he just says his feet are like fine brass, all right? Uh, same same idea, all right? And, and by the way, all right, these descriptions, the, the fiery eyes, and maybe you could even say fiery feet, uh, this is a description that invokes the idea of judgment. Christ is a judge looking at this church, and it's as if his, his holy anger is burning, right? Uh, now, by the way, the Bible talks about a judgment seat of Christ that all believers will face Christ at. And it uh, talks about in 1 Corinthians 13 about how our works will be tried with fire. Uh, I think it's very likely that the idea is that fiery gaze of the Lord Jesus is going to reveal everything. That's the point. It's going to burn away all the dross. And, uh, you know, the question is, what's left? So you have this... This description of the Lord. The, however, the only thing here is the, uh, the, the name that, that is given here. He says, these things saith the Son of God. That is not found um, elsewhere in the book of Revelation, that exact phrase. Now, here, just for reference sake, this is very specifically, in fact, literally, it's the idea of the Son of the God. And the bottom line is, you cannot... Get away from the fact that here, Christ is identifying Himself as God, as God the Son, the Son of God. In fact, this is a phrase that John, the writer, right, the, the Apostle John, that he uses in the Gospel of John uh, for the Lord Jesus as well. Uh, a prime example of that is in John chapter 20, verse 31, which really you could say is the purpose of, statement of the gospel of John, right? These things were written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through His name. All right? That 
You have to believe. In order to have life, you have to have the right view of Jesus, who he is. That's imperative, according to the Bible. And we must understand that he is God. And uh, he's being very clear on this, right? He is eternal God. He has all authority. I mean, think about that. If he's God, he has all authority. He is, there's no one that can deny him anything. He has all rights. He has all, not just power and might, but he has authority, right? And he's the one who will rule all the world one day. The Bible makes that clear as well. In fact, in the latter part of this letter, the promises to the overcomer here uh, involve that reign, all right? And how these overcomers will have a part in that reign with him. But he's the one who will rule the world one day. He's the one who will delegate ruling authority during that millennial reign uh, here on the earth, all right? And again, he's the one with the fiery eyes, the brazen feet. And again, these speak of, of, of judgment and so on. Uh, but now let's move on to the next part here. The, the, uh, not only do we see the church address that Christ described, but the commendation deserved. All right. Now, this is an interesting thing here. As you read this letter, and particularly when you, there's such a focus, it seems, on, on Christ's judgment of things here, it almost as if you can just kind of skip over the good, I mean, in our minds anyway, skip over the good things that the Lord says. But again, remember, the Lord sees all. He knows all. He doesn't just see the bad. He sees the, the things that are commendable as well. And uh, on, on this thing, I just put it this way on the, on the slides, but as you read this letter and you start, start to see what the Lord says that he knows about them, all right, I mean, it's works, works, works. I mean, this was a church that was working for the, they were busy, they were serving. In fact, there are several descriptions here that are given of this church that are not of any other church in, as far as good things, all right? There's some bad thing, again, that we'll get to, but there's some good things that are written about this church that are not written of the others. Notice, he says, beginning in verse 19, I know thy works and charity and service and faith and thy patience and thy works, and the last to be more than the first. So notice several things about that. He says works, and again, this is a general word that's used in every one of these letters. I know thy works, all right, but their deeds, their actions... And, and in that sense, it's, it's the same as all the others. But notice then he says, and, what's the next word after works there? And charity. And, and uh, following, you know, thinking of the, uh, the Sunday night lesson recently, all right? This is that word, agape, uh, your love. Do uh, you realize this is the only church that the Lord commends? For having love? That, that is humbling if you think about that. In fact, the church that had it all together doctrinally wasn't compromising a bit, and every, the Lord said they had left their first love, right? Ephesus. But here he commends the church at Thyatira for their charity, for their love. Now, Again, we would say, all right, because of what we see, obviously there was a problem with their first love, but they were a church that was characterized by love, which is a good thing and something that all, all should be striving 
to, uh, you know, to emulate that, right? But uh, here he says, I, I see your charity, your, your agape, all right? Um, and then their service, all right? Again, this is a unique word, I, I think, for this church here as well, the word service. It's, the, it's a word that's often translated in the New Testament, ministry. It's, uh, it's the word that's associated with the word deacon, that kind of a servant minister, but their service. In other words, their ministry uh, is the idea. So their works, their love, their, their service, ministry here, their faith. All right? I mean, again, these are good things, commendable things, and the Lord sees these things. And patience, their endurance. So in other words, it wasn't easy for them. It wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't like they had it made. Uh, they were enduring things, but yet they were being persistent as well. And then notice he follows all this up to say, and thy works. He throws this in again, and then notice the statement that's attached to that. And thy works, and the last to be more than the first. In other words, their works were increasing, not decreasing. Normally, it's the opposite. As we face difficulties, our works decrease, right? Here, he's commending this church because their works were actually increasing. At the last, they were more than at the first. I mean, again, this is, this is commendable. Right? And again, the Lord doesn't overlook any of that. He sees that. And by the way, any, when we all, you know, all who stand before Him, He sees it all, the good and the bad. All right? The gold, silver, precious stones, and the wood, hay, and stubble. He sees it all, right? So, um, notice then, let's move on to, I mean, again, you could say the outward service of this church was very impressive indeed. But that leads us to understand this, okay? That love, service, ministry, works, being busy for the Lord, so on, those are never an excuse for compromise. Never. I mean, and, and that's just our human nature to think, well, you know, that's, that, that should take care of this, you know? The, the good outweighs the bad, so to speak. I mean... That's, that's not how it works with the Lord. That's not how He sees it, all right? He expects complete obedience and faithfulness. In fact, that's the two things you could say that the Lord requires of every single individual Christian, every single church, obedience and faithfulness. Now, because everybody's situation is unique and different and all of that, and the Lord, I mean, but obedience and faithfulness. That's what, he, that's what he requires. All right, their outward service was impressive indeed. But, notice verse 20, he says, Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess. Now, as soon as we, 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 as soon as we read the name Jezebel, red flags start to go up, right? I mean... There is not any kind of a good connotation with the name Jezebel, all right? Uh, I don't know of anybody that's named their daughter Jezebel. Uh, I do know somebody who named a dog that, but, uh, you know, Jezebel, I just, you know. Anyway, uh, but he says, Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, 
to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Let's just, we'll stop right there. So notice the condemnation that the Lord uh, gives to this church, all right? Again, they, they were given a good performance report up to this point, but remember the eyes of flaming fire reveal all, right? And again, that's, that should be something for us to take notice of because those eyes will reveal all. But notice what the Lord says in condemning what He sees in this church as well. Now, notice I, I, I just broke this down into two things, the principles and the provocations, all right? The principles, no matter what the success of a church's ministry appears to be in numbers and outward signs, if there's impurity of heart and life, this is abominable in the Lord's sight. This same principle is true of an individual believer's life. And we could look at numerous things in the Old Testament. You think about Saul. I mean, of course, we realize Saul didn't uh, uh, fully obey the Lord when Samuel gave him the command to go and slay the Amalekites. Remember that? All right. And, and uh, you know, they went, they did battle. And for the most part, they did. But they didn't completely obey. And they did some things that they thought would be good, right? I mean, Saul blames it on the people, right? Well, the people saved. Now, he was the one responsible to ensure that the people did the right thing. But, uh, but again, it's that principle that the Lord expects total obedience. Not some obedience, but total obedience. Uh, and there's a... a, a quote there from uh, William MacDonald, I, I won't read the whole thing there, but um, picking up below that, all right, you think about that, it's never the right thing to do to do a wrong thing in order to get a right end, all right, and I have a quote on there, it's actually from Bob Jones Sr., but it's never right to do wrong in order to do right, I mean, uh, a lot of people have the idea that the end justifies the means. But in God's sight, that's not true. The, the means are just as important as the end. I mean, obviously the goal should be right, but it needs to be accomplished in the right way. And uh, anything other than that, again, is not right. And uh, the church at Corinth, all right, again, you could use them as an example there as the Lord addresses them concerning the man that had, was, was living in immorality, all right, and the church tolerated it. They, they had the idea that they were being spiritual because they could tolerate these things when just the opposite is the truth. Um, and, you know, they, they may have thought they were doing, a, you know, the right thing, but they weren't. All right, so the, the specific provocations that are talked about here in this letter to the church at Thyatira. Notice the evils that provoke the Lord's anger here. All right, number one, they, now again, uh, the, specifically, this is addressed to the angel, notwithstanding I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, uh, which calleth herself a prophetess, all right? So, sufferest, that means allowed 
toler tolerated, all right? Uh, Jezebel, whoever this is, we'll talk more about that in just a second, was being allowed, permitted, wasn't being stopped. The point is, it was known and it wasn't stopped, all right? Obviously, there, there's always the possibility that someone is doing something secretive, all right? And, and, but that's not the point here. The point is, this was something that was obvious. It was something that was known, but it was being allowed. It was being tolerated. And, and the exact reason it was being allowed, we don't know, obviously, but it was. Now, uh, being allowed permitted, not stopped, all right? And, and again, part of a pastor's responsibility is spiritual protection for the flock. That's part of that concept of a shepherd and sheep and so on. But then he says, that woman, this is an interesting uh, thing here. It's, it's, this, this person was known, all right? This was someone that probably everyone in that church at Thyatira knew exactly who was being talked about in this letter. Now, those of us today and outside that immediate, maybe even the other six churches, had no idea who this specific person was, but they knew who it was. All right, again, this is something that was known, but it was allowed. And that is what the Lord was angered at, all right, because they allowed. And that was disobedience to Him. That woman, a very particular woman, and known, obviously, to the angel, uh, and again, this is some writers put this forth that it was the pastor's wife. Uh, who knows? All right, that's just that's just an opinion thrown out there. Uh, obviously, many pastors' wives are are uh, wonderful women. Some pastors' wives may not be. All right, and that's just across the board in any situation. That's the case. All right, but. Uh, whether that's who this was or not, obviously we don't know that, but it was known to him, known to the congregation, known, I would say, to all in, in, in that church, all right, what this is being talked about. Jezebel, again, this is interesting. Now, was this a real, the real name of this person? Uh, that's possible, but probably not. Uh, but this is an interesting scenario, all right? Jezebel, who, who is Jezebel in the Bible? All right, King Ahab, all right, married Jezebel. Now, Ahab himself was not a very good king, all right? In fact, the Lord says that at least at the time that he was king, he was more wicked than any other king that Israel had had, all right? Now, later, there's other statements made about other men, uh, basically the same thing, so maybe that supersedes Ahab, but Ahab uh, then married Jezebel, who was the daughter of the king of Zidon, and his name was Ethbaal. Now, obviously, he associated himself with the false god Baal, and she was obviously into that, given over to Baal worship, and because of Jezebel, Baal worship became a big thing in Israel, and that was all about the confrontation with Elijah, remember, on Mount Carmel, and all of that, and the prophets of Baal, and so on, all right? So, uh, a very wicked time in Israel's history. Not, their, not the only idolatrous time, but that was a very specific time, and in that context, God allowed Elijah and then his successor, Elisha, to be able to uh, perform miraculous things, not just 
not just anything and everything, but specific miraculous things to call Israel back to God. Um, so this was, a, this was a big thing, all right, in the history of Israel. But uh, so was this, this in, in Revelation uh, 3 in the city of Thyatira in the church there, was this the woman's real name? Again, who knows, all right, I don't know. Uh, it's probably more of an illusion, a reference, because of the connotation with Jezebel in the Old Testament. But uh, maybe her name was Mary or whatever, you know, I don't know. But uh, anyway, some things on there about, about Jezebel who we just talked about. But notice what it says about her, all right? It says that she was, um, let me find my place here in verse 20, that Thou, the angel and the church, had allowed Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess. So she was a self-proclaimed prophet, prophetess, all right? But allowed her to, excuse me, to teach and to seduce the Lord's servants, all right? Red flags could go up here on all kinds of things, all right? Number one, a woman, a lady, is not to teach in the assembly, not to teach men, all right? Obviously, women can teach women, and women teach children, and so on, but 1 Timothy chapter 2 makes it clear that a woman is not to be in leadership in the church, all right? Not to hold, not to be uh, a pastor or deacon uh, in the church specifically, but not to teach men, because that goes against the order that God set, and he's the one that has the uh, the right to set that, right? It's not a matter of demeaning women. It's not, you know, uh, and probably there are some women that are better teachers than men, all right? Probably so. Uh, but the point is, 1 Timothy 2 makes it clear that's not to be the case in the Lord's churches, all right? So number one, she was allowed to teach, all right? Now, it doesn't specify she just taught a Sunday school class to kids or to women, all right? It, it kind of gives the impression that she was given space to be able to teach the church these things, uh, which again, that itself is wrong, but also she was allowed to seduce, and the specific word seduce here is the idea to lead astray, to, uh, to manipulate them into doing evil. In fact, here, who is it that it says that she led astray? Jesus calls them my servants, all right? Interestingly enough, remember in Revelation chapter 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass, right? Um, but so, and then it says that she led them into immorality and idolatry. She taught them and seduced them to commit fornication, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and probably the idea of to participate in occultic rituals. All right, again, when you think of the last letter to Pergamos, the idea of what Balaam, remember they, they had some that held to the doctrine of Balaam. And what specifically is addressed about that in that letter? Who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. So here, uh, there in Pergamos, the church was condemned because there was a toleration of some who had that 
held to that idea. They weren't get, being given space in the church necessarily to, as a public platform to pronounce it and so on, but here in Thyatira they are. It has and it's taken root and it's obviously corrupted the church. All right, so it's gone farther. And again, that's why the point is the compromise is a slippery slope. Once you start down that slippery slope, you can't control it. It's, it's, so it, the only way to stop it is to cut it off before it ever gets there. And, I mean, that is, that is that's the Bible way, all right? So she was allowed to seduce, to seduce the Lord's servants into wrong things, all right? And here it again says to uh, commit, let me find the verse again, to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. So to somehow or another participate in idolatry. Some writers, as I mentioned at the beginning, talking about the city and those trade guilds, right? Uh, some writers think that the whole, this kind of connected with that, that she was, she was teaching people that it was all right to participate in those things because your livelihood uh, you know, depends on it, something of that sort. But again, the bottom line is, with the Lord, it's never right to do wrong in order to do right. All right? And somehow or another, all right, in the face of a difficult situation, God would give, if not a complete way out, He'll give the grace to do what's right and face the consequences. I mean, that's, that's the way the Lord works. And do you realize that untold, I mean, countless millions of the Lord's servants down through the ages have faced death for standing true, standing firm in the face of wrong. Um, we're not going to talk about it so much today. We might do a follow-up lesson after the, the seven letters here and tie all these together in, in this light, but... A lot of people, we talked about that idea that, you know, of these letters representing different ages in church history, so to speak. And, of course, this particular letter is, is basically associated with the, with the uh, you know, solidification of the, the Roman Catholic system and then uh, down through the Dark Ages and how, uh, again, people were, were literally slaughtered by the millions uh, down in the, that thousand-year period uh, for, for doing right and standing for, like, Bible truth in the, spa- in the face of religious ideas. Um, so, again, regarding those tr- trade guilds, for some reason that's hard to say, history and archaeology attest to the cultic trade guilds uh, that they were in practice in Thyatira. And basically, there was forced participation, practice of idolatry and immorality were included in those things. And perhaps some in Thyatira thought God would excuse such practices because it was part of their jobs. Which again, uh, obviously we've said it enough times today already, that's not the case. So, the correction in, uh, in several verses here following, verse 21 and then again in verses 24 and 25, we can see... The, what, the, the concept of the correction that, uh, um, I didn't change that one. Anyway, uh, the, the correction that the Lord offers here, notice in verse 21, 
after he, he's talking about what's wrong here, he says, I gave her space to repent, this person, Jezebel. All right, I gave her space to repent of her fornication, the Lord says. And she repented not. So now God's going to judge her all right, and those that she has manipulated. It says in verse 22, Behold, I will cast her into a, into a bed, them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. Um, go down to verse 24, though, all right? Uh, this is more part of the, the correction that's offered. But I say unto you, I, but unto you I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, you is plural, those in the church, unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, and which have not known the depths of Satan, that's an interesting description, uh, here, the depths of Satan as they speak, I will put upon you none other burden, but that which ye have already hold fast till I come. So although certain ones that were guilty, uh, they were given space to repent. All right, now number one, when a, when a believer sins, wrongs God, all right, there's a process of chastisement that starts. I, th- I believe you could say it starts, first of all, with the Holy Spirit in the person's heart. That can be rejected. That can be ignored. And, you know, then God can keep turning up the heat, so to speak, all right? And, and ultimately, it is possible that God will kill a believer. But one way or another, God deals with those that are His. He does. All right? And however, in the Lord's churches, it's possible for those that are not truly saved to be operating and be involved. All right? And by the way, they are not necessarily the objects of God's chastisement. According to Hebrews chapter 12, God only chastens who? His own, not those that are not His. All right? Now, I think in some ways, God will intervene in situations and bring judgment upon something, someone, those that are not his, for the sake of protecting his name, perhaps. But again, there's a difference there in that. And so this woman Jezebel, I, I believe it's fair to say she wasn't saved, right? And she seduced others to follow her. They're receiving judgment, right? But yet there are others in the church that weren't part of that. They've held fast, and God is basically saying, the only thing I'm expecting of you is to keep holding fast to what you have. In fact, it's interesting how he says, at the end of verse 24, he says, I will put upon you none other burden, but that, ye, but that which you already have, hold fast till I come. In other words, I'm not going to expect any more of you just to, to hold on. Don't give in. Stay there. That, that's the idea. Just hold fast. Don't, don't give in to this. All right? Um, so that's, uh, in a way, not correction, all right? But in a way, it is, all right? He, he's basically saying, it's kind of like the church at Smyrna, all right? He's, he, there, there wasn't anything to condemn them of, no, no condemnation offered from the Lord. In that letter to the, the church at Smyrna, he basically just told them to be faithful and don't fear. They were going to face some difficult things and be martyred, basically. But don't fear and be faithful. And here he's telling these ones, who the remnant of the faithful ones, to 
Hold fast. Stay faithful. That's what he's saying. All right, so then the, the, the sixth part of the outline, the consequence if unheeded here. Um, and I forgot to change that on this slide from the previous one. I got distracted, I guess. But anyway, uh, the consequence if unheeded, all right? He, he speaks of a bed of tribulation here. Um, now, I, I did put, this was some time back when I put this in this uh, outline here. I don't necessarily think this is talking about the tribulation time. All right. I mean, it's possible that's involved here, but uh, he's going to cast these people into a bed of tribulation. All right. And then death to her children. All right. Those that she's affected. The Lord's going to bring death to them. But there's a warning to all here. All right. All the churches are to take warning from the Lord's uh, of judgment of Jezebel and those allow that those allowing and following her. All right. Heed this, he's saying. Um, and and the, uh, the little note in the parentheses there is important. That's one of the purposes, by the way, of church discipline in the New Testament. It's to warn others. It's, it, and, and church discipline is, a, the, is all about the purposes for restoration and, and bringing purity in the church. It's not about punishing people and so on. But, but it's, and it's to keep others from going down that path. That's, that's the point, all right? Um, and then you see the challenge issued, and I, I got to hurry here and we'll be done. How did that happen? Anyway, um, but the challenge issued. Notice again in the last several verses here, he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of a potter shall, he, shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my father. And I will give him, this one here, the overcomer, the morning star. And then he says at the end, he that hath, ear, and he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. So that's reversed. In starting in this letter and the rest of the, uh, the three remaining letters, it's the same order as it is here. Exactly why? Uh, I've speculated that a lot myself, so I'm not, I'm not 100% sure there on why, but the Lord changed it up here in this. Uh, but notice the promise to the overcomer here, all right, is they're going to have uh, the right to participate in the Lord's ruling here on this earth, or basically the word's not used here, but the millennial reign of Christ. All right, uh, that's part of reward for New Testament believers in this life now. Part of the reward later is somehow or another, the Lord Jesus is going to give allotments of ruling on this earth. Now, that's obviously likely affected by our service for Him now, what all that ends up being, but there is the right to uh, participate in his rule here on this earth. Um, and so uh, that's, a, that's for saved people, all right? Again, overcomers, uh, I know we haven't, mostly because we've run out of time all the time at the end here, but uh, we haven't had time to really focus on these promises to the overcomers. And again, maybe we'll somehow try to conglomerate all that uh, toward uh, at the conclusion of these letters. But a lot of wonderful promises here. But this one involves, it focuses around this of, of the rule, participating in Christ's rule here on the earth during the millennial reign, uh, receiving authority and ruling power, and so on. 
And then receiving the morning star. This is an interesting thing. One of the names of the Lord Jesus in the Bible is the bright and morning star. All right, but uh, whether that's the re- what what that's referencing here or not, or if it's uh, different. Again, the early star really is the star belonging to the morning uh, there. But uh, anyway, uh, and then ends with the challenge to hear, right? All with ears are challenged to listen to what God says to uh, and through His churches here. And we're going to have to stop. But the main emphasis, I, I think, of this letter is corruption. Again, when, when compromise is allowed and it's not put into check, then corruption will happen. Always does. Period. End of story. There are no exceptions to that that I know of in the Bible. They all happen. All right? Lot, when he pitched his tent towards Sodom, he just kept going that way, kept going that way, and ended up in the midst of all that. And, of course, you, you know all the, the nasty consequences that came of that. All right? Uh, and others were judged in that. But compromise can't be tolerated, all right? It always leads to corruption. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the Lord Jesus. Help us to love him as we should. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to uh, be faithful to you and to your word in every respect. We ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake we pray. Amen.